0: Good morning. This is Pastor Todd. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Gathering Place podcast. This week, I am sharing a message for the church. I trust the Lord uses it to encourage and build you up. And here is this week's message.
1: Good morning on signs, wonders, and miracles. Uh, uh, we're praying that that we're going to see even more of that in this church. You know. There's no healing that's too hard. There's no lack that's too deep that he can't meet. There's no relationship that he can't heal. We have a God that's mighty and powerful, and we need to address him and connect with him with, in faith, believing the truth of everything he told us. He's not a liar, is he? He's a truth teller in Jesus' name. Father, in Jesus' name, bless Todd, Lord, as he brings the word and, uh, and keeps us aware of what you say, because what you say is what really counts, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.
0: Well, before I get started, uh, we do have an announcement that's not on the slide, so we totally missed it, so I'm going to have Pat come up here and announce that. Yeah, things to keep in mind is uh, we've got a church food pantry, and um, basically, Pat manages the inventory and the distribution, so we want to make sure that we keep that pretty accurate. Like, we don't want to end up with like 30 cans of like corn and nobody needs corn, right? You know what I mean? So, we kind of need to like manage the inventory on that. And then also, like, we're, we're trying to start up a, a visitation team of people who can go out and visit uh, people who. Uh, could really use the visitation. So that's what that's going on. So any if, if any of those ring with you, uh, just talk to Pat, and uh, she'll get you the details. So. <clears throat> I'll switch microphones to, to uh, make it more official. This is preaching mode, right? <clears throat> so um, <clears throat> I usually don't say this too much, but back when I was in seminary back at Trinity, <clears throat> Uh, and even before, I would read through my scriptures. And when I got through the Gospel of Mark, I'd get to Mark, I think, what was it, 16? Sorry, wrong notes. I apologize. It's on the same piece of notepad. There we go. Mark 16. And you would find like a little chunk that's got these little brackets in it that say, Some of the original manuscripts don't actually have this passage in Mark. And uh, like, I've known that, I knew that, and uh, never really worried too much about it. Like, well, you know what? So like a handful of manuscripts don't have, what's that really mean, right? And I remember quoting uh, part of Mark 16 about the drinking poison, handling serpents and scorpions and, and things like that and not being affected. Uh, at a Bible study one time, and this person came up to me and was like, yeah, I haven't really had a lot of official training. I took a few semesters at Moody. And uh, I understand that that's not actually uh, in the original manuscripts. They said, yeah, well, technically, you're right, right? However, if you read what's going on in there, if you've read any of the rest of the Bible, you see most of all of that is confirmed in events uh, throughout the Bible. Most of it. There's one that's just kind of like, okay, so I never, really, I never really worried too much about it. But uh, I thought, since we're doing a message on signs, miracles, and wonders, and we do live in an age of skepticism, where a lot of people are very skeptical about what the Bible says. Is the Bible even real? You know, like, how can it be God's word? Because it was written over thousands of years, hundreds of authors. And I'm like, well, because when you have an architect, an architect has many contract builders who build different parts of the design. So are you going to tell me that because this building wasn't fully built by a master architect with every step of the way of his hands being on it that this building isn't legitimate? I mean, come on, really. So, okay, so that's my that's enough of my little caveat there. Uh, but what I wanted to do is, uh, this is our, I think our fourth message on the Signs, Miracles, and Wonders, is to talk about this passage in relation to where events would lead up to this being in there now side note there's only like five manuscripts that don't have this in there and there's like 2000 that do now we could get into the the whole like minutia of all of that if you want to in a conversation but i'm not going to bore everybody with like manuscript number 8375 beta we're not going to worry about that today, right? <clears throat> so we're going to start out with, uh, with reading the passage. And this is Mark 16, verses 15 through 18. So starting in verse 15, and this is after Jesus' resurrection, right? This is the Mark account. And he's starting to send out the disciples. Starting in verse 15, And Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. But he who has disbelieved will be condemned. These signs will accompany those that have believed. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover." That's pretty simple, but a lot of people say, oh, that's not actually in there, so, well, we're going to look at the rest of Scripture, where it is actually in there, and say that this doesn't contradict any of that. So, <clears throat> so we're going to break this down a little bit by a little bit. Preach the gospel to all creation. Now, I think that's the only, only time in the Bible that talks about preaching to creation. I actually knew... Uh, a, a, a guy used to be an old coal miner back when I was a teenager who took that so seriously that in the coal mines he would like share the gospel with mice. Now, <laughs> I wasn't gonna go that far, but I'm like, you know what? The fact that he's taken scripture seriously commends some respect, right? So, um, and, I mean, like, if, if you like to get into like Christian history, like, like I'm a big Christian history guy, If you ever go to, um, like Franciscan monasteries or you go to churches that have a a statue or an icon of St. Francis of Assisi, you always see these animals around. And the reason being is that, um, he was really frustrated at one point when he failed to get his order approved by the papacy or the papacy, depending on tomato, tomato. Um, and he was a little bit frustrated at seeing all like just the, the political machinations inside the Vatican. And he was a little bit deflated about it. And he's like, well, if I can't like, preach the gospel to people, I can preach the gospel to, to, to the creation. This, this is the story of St. Francis of Assisi. So his disciples are like around him like, well, what is he talking about? And he goes over to this tree and just starts preaching to the birds. And they all start chirping to him. And like, almost like they're singing a praise to the Lord kind of a thing and he becomes known almost as like an animal whisperer right but but like a, the christian version of it not like caesar on uh, animal planet or whatever and and so he he becomes this this image in the church of somebody who works to rebuild the harmony with creation now, i don't know if, if you guys have come across this or not if this is new information but like for years i would identify with St. Francis in terms of that, because when we read Romans chapter 8, like Paul talks about it's it's not just humankind that's looking for redemption. He says all of creation is yearning for redemption that's going to come through the sons of God. And and so I'm like whether or not that really, really happened, I I can't say. Like the history books tend to say it, right? Uh, but what I do know is that. It does tend to embody that Romans 8 passage, right? That, that it's not just about us getting our own personal salvation and having our own personal Jesus. That's all good and great, and that's all very true. It's also about us being redeemed, bringing that redemption power to creation, right? So we are talking about the grass and the trees and the birds and the deer and even the skies. Like there's this redemptive thing. That we were restoring this relationship of harmony with humanity and nature that is spelled out in Scripture. Okay? So, so why would snakes not harm us? Because we've restored this redemption, right? Why would the, the poison not harm us? Because we're restored with nature. That's a little backstory. That wasn't even in my notes, so there you go. That's a freebie. Preach the gospel to all creation. So, it's, it's bringing this redemptive power wherever we go. He goes, those that have believed and are baptized will be saved, right? And so that's the whole thing about uh, Romans 9, where it says if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. That's it. It's very simple. It's not a formula. It's not a particular set of words that you pray. It's not a particular ritual. It's believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you'll be saved. We also have the baptism element. That's a whole other thing. We can can do a whole teaching on baptism. At the end of the day, uh, the way I look at it from what I see in Scripture, that baptism isn't a salvific, right? It's not mandatory for salvation because you have the thief on the cross, right? There's some counter explanations for that, but I'm not going to worry about that. What I see in Scripture is that really baptism is the first act of obedience after coming to faith because if we're not going to learn how to obey a baptism by just getting dunked in the water and coming back up, then how are we going to learn to obey the bigger things of God, right? So how do we learn that? So it's it's a first act of obedience that, you know, symbolizes, right, we're Protestants, we believe more of a, a symbolic view of baptism instead of, you know, where it actually washes our sins away, that we're learning to obey. And then, what, is, what does the scripture say? That God prefers obedience over sacrifice. Obedience over sacrifice. God, I sold my house. I gave my money to the poor. I'm living in rags because I want a sacrifice for you. But I didn't tell you to do that. I told you to forgive your brother. All of that sacrifice is going to be nothing if you're not willing to forgive your brother. Obedience over sacrifice. The scripture is very clear about these things. So what's going to follow those that believe in their heart, confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and are saved? That they will cast out demons. That they will lay hands on the sick. That they will the sick will recover. That when you're on a mission with God, anything that comes against you, whether it's poison, whether it's venom, whether it is somebody playing politics to try to destroy you for some other gain, it's going to fail, yeah. just like what uh, Joshua, right? No, not Joshua. Oh my gosh, Jacob, the Jacob, right? When he told his brothers, at the end of everything, after all they did, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Joseph, Joseph. man, I can't get my names right today. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. And here I'm, here I'm, the, the Bible, you know, seminary guy. You know what? Some of you can identify with this. As a father, going through the baby phases, you lose details and you lose words. Now, I I believe that season's, you know, like all other seasons in the Bible, and it came to pass. It'll come to pass. Keep it simple, simple, right? So, anyway, that's my excuse right there. (laughs) So... But we have this. We have this, right? We have this mandate from heaven. We have these promises from heaven. And we have examples of these coming to bear. And if you don't believe, you'll be condemned. That's what Jesus even says in John. I'm not going to reference that. He's like, like those who have, who have chosen not to believe stand condemned already, right? Like, they're basically locking themselves out of the kingdom of heaven because of their refusal. <clears throat> so the signs that follow. says you'll cast out demons. So... If, if this scripture isn't in there, and we can't bank on this scripture out of Mark, then what is our basis? I'll give you one example. Acts chapter 16, verse 16. Now, as you can see, um, I didn't print out any notes or anything on this. Uh, there's a story behind that, but we're not going to worry about that. So I'm doing this old school. I'm doing this old school preacher style or actually have my physical book so you know it's legit right because it's it's a bound book it's not manipulated now uh the, the stuff up here is just as accurate i mean it's this good so casting out demons it says you'll cast out demons when you believe in me act 16:6. 6. let's see here doo, doo, doo. here's 16. 16 16 16 thank you it happened that as we were going to the place of prayer this is in uh, Thyatira, I believe. As we're going to the place of prayer, a slave girl, having a spirit of divination, if you have an older translation, might say a familiar spirit, met us. Who was bringing her, ma- her masters much profit by fortune telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out saying, these men are bondservants of the most high God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days. But Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. Now there's a a fallout. their masters realize their money got dried up and they caused a ruckus. But casting out a demon, it's pretty simple. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us, right? Scripture says that that what dwells inside of of us is the same spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And Jesus says, in my name, you'll do everything you've seen me do and more. Right? We, we see that. And Paul took to that. You know, he, the three days is just hearing this person falling around. Hey, these people are preaching salvation, the way to God, the way to the true God. Now, she wasn't wrong, but she wasn't doing it in the right spirit. And uh, I think one of the things that's, that's kind of important for us to know as Christians Especially charismatic Christians, is that the mark of a prophet of God or the mark of somebody who really is like, like speaking into uh, like the kingdom of heaven, right? Of, of what God is declaring, is not only based on accuracy, because demonic spirits can be extremely accurate. Their words can be extremely true. The question is. What is the end goal? What is the motive? And so that's why it's me. Okay, I'm a teacher first before anything else. All right? Like, you guys know that. Like, that's the way God has wired me. And I'm naturally skeptical of a lot of the supernatural stuff. Even though I'm charismatic. It's crazy. I'm a charismatic. But I'm not, like, carte blanche charismatic. I'm super skeptical. Uh, especially when people come claiming to speak in the name of the Lord. Because... I don't care, honestly, how accurate they are. That doesn't amaze me. I'm not moved by that. I don't care about the words. I don't care about the prophecies. I care about the character. If somebody is coming in here declaring a word of the Lord, I don't care how accurate it is. If their character is not in line with Scripture, I don't want it. I don't want it. And so that's what I'm getting like, this woman's character, whatever it is, she's not legit. She's not walking with the Holy Spirit. And because of that very reason, Paul had every justification to cast that spirit out. Now, I'm not a demon hunter. I don't go around hunting out demons in haunted houses and stuff like that. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't like kicking the hornet's nest if I don't have to. Even though I know the Lord will protect me, it's just like, that's not my business, Right? And when I look at Jesus, I don't see Jesus intentionally going to demon houses and kick him out. He's doing his job. When they get in his way, he says, get out of the way. That's, that's what I see. And that's what I do. You know, like when I, uh, when I was having to live in a temporary place uh, just before I got married, the people were like, oh, there's a, there's, a, there's a ghost in that apartment. It's been there for 20 years. It creeps everybody out. But Cal helped me move in. Pulled out the holy water. We'll get into that in a little bit shot that holy water all over the rooms, prayed a cleansing prayer, yep. things never been back. That's right. Never been back. I've been out of there for seven or eight years now. It's gone. It's gone. I, I, we cleaned house and that house stayed clean. Amen. And uh, you know what? That's the authority we have. Every, every house we move into, like, I, I do a cleansing. I, I cleanse the house spiritually. Um, if, if somebody comes in that I think is a little bit funky, yeah, spiritually, I'll do an extra cleaning, right? I'm fine with that. I'm good with that. You know, I like to use holy water. Uh, there's reasons behind that. I won't get into it. I'm not telling you guys you have to do that. Uh, it's a lot less messy than oil. I can tell you that. <laughs> it dries and it still works. But uh, you know, you oil, you know, whatever. You know, you don't even need that. I like, like I know Orthodox. They'll, they'll they'll burn incense, and they'll just like flood the rooms with incense. And all they do is recite the Lord's Prayer in every room. It works. There's many ways. Uh, part of this, part of the, the the idea of this message is it's like there isn't one specific way to engage in signs and miracles and wonders. There isn't a formula. There's a lot of things that work. Because it's not about the formula, it's not about the action. It's about that relational connection with, with God the Father. Right? With the power of the Holy Spirit. There's this relationship aspect. And I think we lose sight of that whenever we see the signs and wonders because we want to see, well, okay, if I, if I grab somebody with the palm of my hand, right on their forehead, and I, then they're going to get healed, right? No. If I, as, as a teenager, people, you know, when I, when I first got saved, you know, like I wanted the Holy Spirit because there's a Pentecostal church. What's the sign in a Pentecostal church of being filled with the Holy Spirit? Tongues. Tongues. So I wanted it. <laughs> I wanted it, Right. I want your tongues every, every Sunday. Bam, up at the front. Tongues. I want tongues. I want tongues. Nothing. And they're like, you're trying too hard. Well, how do you not try? Right? Like, like it's hard to explain. You can't teach how to receive the gift of tongues. Right? You can't do that. But I'd be up there praying. And I'd put your hands in the air, say hallelujah until you get tongue tied. You know, it's like, it's all that stuff. And I remember there's this guy, he kind of looked like a, almost like, a, oh my goodness, what's the word? Um, undertaker. Undertaker like, tall, kind of, like, slightly creepy-looking, like, crooked blue eyes just, like, kind of peer into your soul. And, like, as I'm out there trying to get... He's, like, hitting, pounding my chest. You know, just speaking tongue, you know? And I'm, like, what do you do? You know, you're 15 years old, right? You don't know good from bad. You're just, like, oh, this is, this is part of it, right? You just assume this is part of it. That didn't happen. It, 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 it happened... Progressively Amen. for me. Amen. I remember one time just just on my on, on my knees on my couch. Uh, I actually slept on a couch in my bedroom. I wanted it that way. I asked for a couch. Uh, so I was sleeping and then I, I would kneel down on the couch and do my prayers. And it's one night I got uh, this is all I got. Pashundalai. That's all I got. That's all I could do. My shandalai, my shandalai, my shandalai. Over and over. That's all I could do. <coughs> a couple months later. I got hevkan hashina, and I and, and this is like kind of like in the, in the cusp of like close to getting to the internet, so I just started like trying to find like other languages. Does hevkan hashina mean anything in like Arabic or Turkish or Hebrew? I I couldn't find it. Of course, you know my Google skills were not as keen back then, but that's what I got. That's all I got. I got shunulai, and I got hevkan hashina. That's it. For like six or seven months. And then finally, one church service, you know, I got it. And then it was, it was a lot better from that point on. But it wasn't like this big dramatic thing at all, you know. But it, it eventually happened. I can't say that happens to everybody. I can't say personally. Uh, are there, there are beliefs out there that anybody can get the gift of tongues. I'm not saying yes or no. I just don't see in scripture that it's required Amen. for yeah. anything. So, because I don't see in in Scripture that it's required, I'm not going to pressure people to do it. That's just... My limits are what the Scriptures say and what the Scriptures... There's a difference between what the Scripture describes, description, and what the Scripture prescribes, Amen. prescription, right? There are descriptions in the Bible that, that, that there's nowhere in the context where it says, do ye likewise. Mm-hmm. And there are also prescriptions in the bible that do say do ye likewise description david had many wives <laughs> prescription one man one woman become one flesh am i going to follow the prescription or the description okay that's where i make that delineation if it says you do this i'll do this If it says it's a description okay that's good information let's use some wisdom there right Okay, so casting out demons. We can cast out demons. <laughs> Next one uh, in, in this list is uh, speaking with new tongues. We have a lot of examples in Acts where as soon as people get saved or, or, or something, they, they begin speaking with tongues. And uh, the passage I have is Acts 19:5, 19, 19, verse 5. Let me go back a little bit to get some context. So Paul's in Ephesus and he passes through the upper county. Uh, I'm just going to start with verse 1. Through the upper county, came to Ephesus, found some disciples, said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, no, we've not even heard of whether through a Holy Spirit, right? So he says, "And, and to what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. So these people knew John the Baptist. They didn't know Jesus. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance. Telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him. That is, in Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. They were in all about 12 men. Okay, boom, baptism. Coming out, speaking in tongues. Fantastic. I've seen this. You know, when I was a teenager, we'd, we'd see baptisms in our church. And I remember this one lady, she must have been I don't know, in her 30s at the time, goes down, comes up, and it's going off in tongues. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. Me? I didn't. Actually, I got baptized three times because I kept slipping into the baptismal because uh, I didn't realize that uh, everybody, everybody was getting into the baptism. Nobody tells you these protocols about baptismals, right? They don't tell you anything. They just say, yeah, oh, come get baptized. Bring an extra set of clothes. I didn't. Everybody else went in barefoot. I decided to wear socks. I don't know why. So they, you know, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'd go down. I'd come up. My feet slip out from under me. Boom! I go back down again. They help me back up, and then I'm going up the steps on the way out, and I slip again. I got it good. I got it good. And no tongues. That was mid-July 1994, to date myself. Mid-July 1994. It wasn't until and from, from mid-July until January 1995, that's when I got Heshundalai and I got Yivkanashina. That's all I could do. Hashundalai. Heshundalai, right? Sounds epic, right? But you don't even know what it is. This is like blah, 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 blah. <coughs> it Wasn't until the following January that I actually got a little bit more, more of the tongues and was able to build on that. So, so we do have instances where people speak in tongues When they get baptized or when we lay hands on them, that's perfectly legit. There are also examples, I don't have them in here because I have brevity of time, right? Where they, they receive the Holy Spirit and it doesn't even say, or they get baptized and it doesn't say that they speak in tongues. That's fine. It's okay. There's no shame in not speaking in tongues. That doesn't mean you can't hear the voice of the Lord. It doesn't mean that you you can't do these great things for the kingdom of God because you don't speak in tongues. It's not a necessity. It's a gift, it's a good gift, it's cool, it's not required, right? There's a whole plethora. I mean, like read 1 Corinthians, there's tons, of he lists them out, bam, bam, bam. God's got a way of doing things that don't exactly fit a predictab- predictable mold in terms of relationship, because it's relationship, right? The sun comes up in the east and it goes in the west. That's predictable. God is a God of order. But in terms of relationship, relationships are dynamic, right? There's constant changes. There's growth dynamics. There's, there's uh, seasonal changes. Like as we grow in different ages, we have different ways of relating to the Lord. <clears throat> there was a time where when I really wanted to talk with the Lord, this is my single day, so I had a lot of free time. <laughs> I would go for like a two-hour walk And have a legit conversation with God. Like I would talk. And he would talk back. And then I would say what about this. And then he would give me a response. And then there was a time where. Those walks. Became less and less fruitful. Like he would talk less. During those walks. And for me what what seemed to happen. Was that there was a shift. In the way that God wanted me to relate to him. And it moved into a season where. Um, you guys don't have to do this. This is what I did. I would meditate to Gregorian chant and actually like filter out the ones that were like praying to Mary because I'm like, you know, like. so I I would do like all all the ones that I could understand because, you know, I studied Latin in college. I can map out a few words and figure out what's going on. And I would meditate to Gregorian chant or to instrumentals and the Lord would start showing up and like showing me visions and speaking to me in new ways. Like, I didn't know about journaling at this time, so I just kind of consumed it and then forgot about it. But there were some special, powerful moments uh, during these times. Like, I remember one time that uh, I was on, 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 the, on the ground. Chants were going, excuse me, sniffling. And I ended up getting this vision. It was all black, basically kind of lit by a candle kinda of what the look. But Jesus was there in front of me. And he serves me communion. This is my body. Take and eat this. He gives me a cup. This is my blood. Drink. And then after i had finished that, he like holds his hands up and there's like this glowing golden cube. And he goes, This is my peace. You will be a bearer of my peace. And he takes it, and he just gently shoves it into my heart. And then that vision changes to... Okay, this is going to get Kara-level weird. (laughs) Right? Turns into, like, this space fighter jet pilot. And this giant engine is being installed into, like, the chassis of it. And, And that was it. That was the end of it. I never got that on a walk. I got that with monks chanting through the radio. I mean, like... It was just a way to change the way I interacted with the Lord because one systematic thing isn't always the way God wants to relate to us because it's a dynamic relationship. So speaking in tongues. I know there's a lot of side notes. also says that uh, you'll pick up serpents and they won't harm you. <sighs> well, just so you know, Byron's like not having it. We, we are not snake handlers in this church. If you want to do that on your own time, you know what? Go do it. Don't call us. <laughs> I don't like snakes. I've held them. They're fine. You know what? They're snakes. <laughs> no said, right? Now, but but there are groups that do that. I part of my thought. You know, I don't want to speak ill of people taking Scripture seriously. There's also this thing in Scripture where Jesus says not putting the Lord to a foolish test. <laughs> So I'm not going to go hunt for a snake to let him bite me. But I do believe that if I'm doing the work of the kingdom and the snake happens to bite me, the Lord's got my back. Just don't walk out from under the shadow of the Lord's protection. That's, right? Don't do something dumb. That, that's me. That's my teacher's side. Don't do something dumb. Right? There's a lot of grace for some dumb things. But don't tempt the Lord. Because he might just be like, oh, ain't got your back on this time. You're going to walk on that consequence. That happens too. But we have examples of this happen. Paul uh, in the, the island of Malta. I don't know if you guys remember this. Acts 28. All right, so let's, uh, let's jump over there. How are we doing on time? Okay. I see like the reflection of the ceiling line up there. Acts 28. Verses 3 through 6. <clears throat> I'll start with the 1. When they had been brought safely through, they went and found that the island was called Malta. The natives showed us extraordinary kindness because of the rain that had set in and because of the cold. They kindled a fire and received us all. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself to his hand. When the natives saw the, creatures hanging from his, the creature hanging from his hand, they began saying to one another, Oh, this man is a murderer, and though he's been saved from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. That's what the natives are thinking, right? However, he shook the creature off into the fire, suffered no harm. They were expecting that he would was about to swell up and suddenly fall down dead. After they waited a long time, I don't know how long time is, but waited long enough, they saw nothing unusual happen to him. They changed their minds, talking about one extreme to the other, and began to say that he was a god. Because he just shook off a viper. <clears throat> so this is definitely a, a kind of a sign and a wonder, right? Of those that follow the Lord. <clears throat> this is where it's very important for us to know exactly what our identity is in Christ. Because uh, to use a phrase that we had when I was growing up, we don't want to get too big for our britches. Anybody else familiar with that term? I don't know, like, sometimes people look at me when I use these Southernisms and they're like, what? So don't get too big for your britches, you know, your britches, your pants. Um, it means that you're thinking bigger of yourself than you actually are. You forget your place. <clears throat> because if, if Paul had been, basically, had an inflated ego, that viper be biting him and not affect, he might begin to take the adulations, right, or the praises of being perceived as a god, this powerful person that snakes couldn't even harm. That usually never ends well, just so you know, in the Bible. Like, if you look at Uzziah in the Old Testament... He got too big for his britches and thought, hey, I'm the king. I'm sovereign over all this, so I can also be king inside of the tabernacle. Now I'm going to go burn incense, and even those 70 priests told him no. He goes in there anyway. What happens? Leprosy till the day he dies. Yep. Walk humbly, right? Know your identity. Walk humbly. So if anybody says in Mark, you know, those passages aren't in there, we can go straight over here and say, Paul got bit by a viper. Have you read the book of Acts? Because it's in there. <clears throat> so, drinking poison—we don't actually have a um, like a New Testament equivalent of like when they drink poison and nothing happened to them. What we do have is this old archaic Levitical law. Reach back into our our Old Testament. that's dealing with uh, trials of adultery. And uh, they grind up some weird bitter like like metal or something and the accused is supposed to drink it and if it harms them they were guilty and if it doesn't harm them then they were innocent sorry that's all we got to go on there kind of like uh light territories if you're walking on the bridge and you get to that one just let's step over that (laughs) but like i said if we look at the pattern right if we look at the pattern when you're on mission for the lord he's got your back nothing's going to stop you You just keep doing what God's called you to do. Obedience, right? It's not about the sacrifice. It's about the obedience. And you'll be fine. He'll take care of you. So we can take that whole thing and say, okay, the poison thing, yeah. If you're doing the Lord's will, he's got you. You had Paul with the vipers, right? Um, Casting out the demons, the baptism, the speaking in tongues, all of that. Pattern, pattern, pattern. So when you get to this anomaly about poison, you know what? The rule is, you're doing the kingdom work, God's got your back. Don't have to worry about it. So then that leads us down into laying on the hands of the sick, and they will, laying hands on the sick, sorry, and they will recover. And we got a, we got a few good examples of this. Uh, Acts 19.11 is our first one. Let's go back to Acts. I know you guys just get to look up here. I've got to take the time to flip it over because, you know, you do things old school. Life's a little bit slower. 1911. This is more miracles at Ephesus. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick. And the disease left them. Excuse me. And the evil spirits went out. This is, we're going to get into some more laying hands on the sick here in a minute. But this is an important passage um, to understand it's, once again, it's not about the formula. It's not about the ritual. Back in that Pentecostal church, like I didn't understand anything about Scripture. I just saw what they did. And they would have uh, what they call prayer cloths. Are you, you guys familiar with prayer cloths? Or is this like new information to you? Where they would take a cloth and put a little bit of anointing oil on it. And, and so if I'm coming up to say, oh, you know, my, like, my dad's sick. He's not a believer. He's not going to come into church. You could go up and, and we would all pray over this little piece of cloth. And you go, like, stuff it under the pillow or under the bed or, or something. Um, and then that would be a, what they would call a point of contact for those prayers. Now, like, you can build up a whole theory about that. I've, I've actually done that before. I like, built up the whole theory. Because you're like, what the heck? You know, because, you know, quarrying minds want to know. And so there's these prayer cloths. And you get to the kind of the inv- evangelical world. And they're like, what kind of voodoo magic is this? <laughs> prayer cloths? You know, people look at me, cross, you know, like, well, you use use holy water? i was like, well, yeah, it's a point of contact, right? Just like a prayer cloth. Well, why would you use a prayer cloth? Have you read Acts chapter 19 specifically? Like Paul, I, and, and this, this is right back to the, the whole relationship thing. It's not the formula, it's the relationship. Paul is in the middle of this big gathering, laying hands on people, and they're getting healed, and then they're like, hey, Paul, there's like people three blocks down the road, they're so sick they can't even get here. Uh, Can you help? And what does he do? He improvises. He takes a piece of his apron, tears it off, sends it off. As soon as they get the apron, they get healed. Okay, that's not voodoo magic. That's dynamic improvisation for doing kingdom work. You know, like maybe I can't get over to (coughs) to Kenosha, but somebody's sick. I can pray. And uh, as my old pastors used to say way back in the day, there's no distance in prayer. Yeah. No distance in prayer whatsoever. So I can send a prayer cloth. You know, like, I can't get over there, take this. You know what? We've done that. <laughs> I even got to the point where i like, do my own prayer cloth, right? And i take a piece of paper towel, cut out a little square, got some anointing oil on it, and then send it off. Till that bottle of anointing oil got poured all over my console because it leaked out. And then my, my whole car smelled like anointing oil for a while. That's a little side note, but uh, laying hands on the sick, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't mandate. So it's kind of a normal, right? Somebody comes, you lay hands on them, and there's a, a, a supernatural power that brings healing. There are situations where you just maybe can't lay hands on them. And God's not like, oh, that's the rule, I've got to lay hands on the sick. If you can't lay hands on them, they can't get healed. That's not our God. That's not how he rolls. That's not what he does. He says, you know what? you're doing my work and you got a heart for the kingdom work and you're doing the kingdom work and I know you can't physically be there. Just say the prayer. Amen. Send a cloth. Because it's obedience, right? It's not the formula. It's obedience. The Lord says, hey, send them off a cloth. Send them an ink pen, right? As opposed to a push pen, right? An ink pen. Send them an ink pen. When they get it, they'll get healed. Okay? That's fine. Because it's, it's about the dynamic relationship, Right? So the healing, there's a norm. Yes, lay hands. And there's also, hey, we can't quite do the norm because of some restrictive circumstance. All right, improvise. Do the kingdom work anyway. And so that's what Paul does with these handkerchiefs. Another example we have of, of like not physically being present, right? All the way back to Jesus in Matthew uh, chapter 8. Yeah, Cal just has to do a click, click, and there it is. I'm working there. la da da Matthew 8, 5 through 13. Going down to 5. And when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him. Not even a Jew. Centurion, right? Comes to him, employing him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I'll come heal him. Like, I'll come physically and be there. The centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the words and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, with soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those that are following, truly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. The sons, of the king. Sorry. He goes on to this little teaching moment. 13. Jesus says to the centurion, Go. It will be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very moment. Didn't even need to be in the house. Didn't even need to be in the neighborhood. Right? The centurion was just like, You say it. And that's as good as gold. And Jesus said, That's fantastic faith. Done. We got that power. We we tend to forget that, right? And 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 a lot of people will just swap that off saying, Well, that's Jesus. You know, Jesus did all the stuff we can't do. It. Greater things than these will you do. We do it. We don't have to be in Milwaukee or in Florida in order for our prayers to have an effect in order for the sick to be healed. There is premise, right? There is a premise for it. When we can, we lay hands on them. Uh, Let's see here. We just did the Matthew one. So number seven is uh, Acts 28.9. So that's our example of actually laying hands on somebody. 28.9. There's a lot going on in the very last chapter, 28. It's like bam, 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 bam like the culmination or something. And it happened that the father of Publius was lying in bed afflicted with recurrent fever and dysentery. Oregon Trail, anyone? And Paul went in to see him and after he had prayed, he laid his hands on him and healed him. After this had happened, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases were coming to him and getting cured. So, yeah, Paul lays hands on people, they get healed. Paul sends out aprons, they get healed. Jesus says, it's done, it's done. Not even in proximity to the sick person. And then uh, number eight, this is Acts 15, no, Acts 5, I'm sorry, Acts 5, 15 to 16. Acts 5, 15, this is Peter, right? So our, our context, The hands of the apostles, signs and wonders, I'm, I'm just doing 12 to give you some context, were taking place among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. So they're like in the part of the temple. But none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem, and all the more believers in the Lord. Multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number, to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on the cots. So many people that are sick are coming out just in the hopes of getting healed, right? More people than, than Peter probably even has time to put his hands on. Laid them on cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on them. Also, people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. So they're like, like, okay, maybe maybe Peter can't touch these five hundred people lined up in the road. But as he walks by, maybe his shadow will touch him and heal him. Right? I mean, like, this is the power of God. And it's the power of God in somebody who has this good, ongoing relationship with the Lord. That's, that's where the power comes from, is this, this connectedness to God. This relational aspect. I think, you know, part of me thinks that like we give our ten percent of the day to the Lord, maybe in the morning, and we see amazing things. when We get to know our, our Lord. How much more if we spent more time, right? Like I'm not saying that that's a rule, and I'm not shaming anybody because life gets busy. There are days where I just I can't even get around to opening my Bible, right? Like part of that's a discipline thing, part of that's just a season thing. But we foster this relationship with the Lord, and we know His voice, right? Jesus, is my sheep, hear My voice. And so when we have to make an improvisation while doing kingdom work, he's there. He honors it. He does it, right? Shadows, prayer cloths, anointing oil, holy water. It doesn't matter because it's not about the article. It's not about the formula. It's about the kingdom work and the heart of God and sharing that heart of God with other people. Sometimes sharing that heart means praying for sick people and then being healed. Sometimes that means talking with a talking the truth of God and God's heart to somebody who has maybe like depression or something and God bringing them out of it, right? It, there's, there's, name the list. It goes on and on and on. But there's this thing where this relationship is part of the power. That power comes through that. So uh, I'll end it with, with this very last one. Um, James 5.14. I'm not even going to go there. It says, If any of you are sick, let them call the elders, and they will anoint them with oil, lay hands on them, and they will recover. So here you, you kind of see something that, that kind of seems like a formula that is a little bit more do the likewise, right? This is a prescription. If you're sick, come to the church, let the elders lay hands on you, and, and anoint you with oil, and you'll be healed. That tends to be the normal now, because that made it into the scriptures. But that's not the only way. You know, like, like we do that. You know, like, we elders, we lay hands on people, pray for them. You know what? I also pray for people at a distance. In my prayer closet, I'll pray for people. And I also use holy water, and uh, I've used prayer cloths. Like i I've, anything in the scriptures that, that seems valid, I'll, I'll do it. You know, but it's not because. I think that formula is going to work, and that, that if I just use the right amount of anointing oil with the right amount of scent to it, like a, like a, a three-to-one frankincense to myrrh ratio, is more powerful than just frankincense. No, no, that's that's a sales gimmick, right there. I have used anointing. I mean, I've used straight-up olive oil. Put my finger right in the bottle and anoint somebody. I know a pastor one time that was like, like on the fly, didn't have anything and, and, and the person was really insistent about anointing oil and he goes out and pulls out the dipstick in his car, puts some motor oil on his hand, <laughs> bam, does the job, right? And like it's, because it's not about the articles, right? Or if you wanted to be, like to use a the theological terms, it's not about the accidents, right? The physical things. It's about the relationship. That power of God is not something to be manipulated or controlled or wielded at our will, it is something that flows out of us because we have this relationship with our Heavenly Father. We've been redeemed by Jesus. We are living proof of the gospel. And it even extends into, as I said earlier, harmonizing with nature, right? That, that maybe at some point, animals won't be terrified of us, as was declared with Noah after the flood, that from that point on, animals will be terrified of humans. Uh, <laughs> Maybe you guys realize that little passage was in there or not, but like, why is the animals scared of us? Because we bring a lot of sin, and we broke up this harmony with the universe. And sons of God, Romans 8, right? All creation yearning for this redemption. So why would not that redemption power with the Holy Spirit inside of us extend to nature as well? But it's about the relationship. All of this is just just And I use that in a diminutive term, right? All of that is just all the signs and wonders, the powers, the miracles, even raising people from the dead. It's just the natural consequences of people who are redeemed by the Lord and have an ongoing relationship with him. That's it. It's not some special power, some level 30 prophet who has this ability to speak life and death into a tree. It's not a video game, and it's not Gnosticism where you have to get certain passwords for certain levels. It's a relationship with Jesus. All of the power, all of the glories, all the miracles, just a good relationship with the Lord that when he calls, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the command, we just say, yes, Lord. That's it. And with that, we can heal the sick. We can raise the dead, right? We can bring life. We can cast out demons. We can get bit by a snake and it won't bother us. We can inadvertently drink poison. And God will be like, got your back, going right out the digestive system. It's the relationship. So uh, is it noon? I can't even tell. Okay, so I'm going to wrap you guys up. Dear Lord, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you, Father, that everything in your scripture comes down to right relationship with you. And so, Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, I ask that as we go out this week, you show yourself more to us. Whatever level we're at, whatever level of maturity we're at, that you show us more of yourself and who you are and what you can do through vessels who say yes this week and all of us, Every time we say yes, Lord, I pray that you would show us your goodness and your grace, whether it's financial provision, whether it is emotional healing, whether it's spiritual deliverance, it doesn't matter, physical healing, whatever it is, Lord, this week, show yourself a little bit more to us every time we say yes, as a reminder of who you are, how good you are. Lord, and everything that you have done for us and and the way you see us. We give the thanks, the praise, the glory, and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. As we worship, we don't want to miss
1: anything what God is doing.
0: Hello again, this is Pastor Todd. I pray the Lord uses my message today to strengthen your walk with God. If you are blessed by this message and would like to support the ministry of The Gathering Place financially, I encourage you to use our online giving portal at tgpchicago.org. The portal uses PayPal's secure site so none of your information is compromised. Once again, thank you for tuning in to The Gathering Place podcast. God bless you and have a great week.